Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome. Tell me if this rings true for you. You are making great strides in your work or career and you're getting lots of pats on the back. You may even be winning a few awards. Everyone is telling you you're doing a great job. You must be so proud. But you know in your heart, you're not actually doing what you're meant to be doing. And you ask yourself, Is this it? This is what happened to this week's guest, Sally Holder. Sally is now a career coach, and she's the author of a terrific book called Hitting Rock Middle. That also happens to be the name of her terrific podcast. Most of us are familiar with the term rock bottom, but rock middle, at least for me, was a new term. Now, as you may have guessed, rock middle is the state of getting stuck somewhere in between. And that's where Sally, who was a very successful labor lawyer, found herself, and that's what we're talking about today. I loved Sally's story, and I think you will too. Before we jump in though, I wanna draw your attention to just a few topics. Sally talks about the quote unquote expertise trap. It's where you're trained for one job or profession, but you want to make a shift. The problem is everyone you go to for advice who's part of your existing network actually keeps offering up options that reinforce that particular area of expertise. I actually mentioned this concept in last week's episode, episode 182, which focused on growing our networks as we grow and evolve. If you missed that episode, be sure and go back and listen because I think you'll appreciate some of my own favorite helpful tools for making sure that your network is supporting you, giving you good feedback, and also perhaps most importantly, keeping pace with your momentum as you grow and evolve. Now, as Sally reinforces, the expertise trap is logical, but sometimes the logical step isn't what helps us to reach our full potential. This will hit home for you or maybe someone that you know who is working through a reinvention or career evolution. Sally also talks about dealing with fear when making a big shift. It's a very, very real and really normal thing. 
Sally also shares great perspective on hiring a coach, uh, including some really helpful tips to consider before you do that. One of them being don't overlook price. It's really important. Sally and I also talk about value as in not undervaluing your work. That's one that I'm still working on myself as Sally and I talk about in this conversation. I know this is going to resonate with either you or someone that you know. This week's episode, friend, is the latest in our collaboration series with the Southern Cooterie. If you missed the start of the collaboration, be sure and go back and check out my conversation in episode 181 with the talented designer and wonderful human being, Leela Rose. The fact that she and I share Texas roots doesn't hurt either, but I digress. One more thing before we jump into the conversation with Sally, a great big thank you to you for joining us today and for sharing us on your Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I am so very grateful to have you here. We are growing like crazy, and it's all because you are making this investment in you. So thank you. And now, my conversation with Sally Holder. Sally, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you, Laura. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited. Well, I'm excited to have you, and I was so thrilled to meet you at the Southern Sea Summit back a few weeks ago. Um, we talked about uh, so many of these topics that you talk about in your fabulous book, which is called Hitting Rock Middle. I am so excited to share have you share your perspective with our listeners. So I've never heard the term rock middle, but I love it. What does it mean, Sally? And why did you write this book? Yeah, so rock middle was, you know, a, a place that I felt like I was stuck in. And because there wasn't a term to reference, right, I couldn't name it. And so I couldn't identify it to other people. And so whenever I tried to have a discussion around it, um, you know, I was really ashamed of, you know, wanting to make a change in my life when I was already externally successful. And, um, you know, so I'd always tell people that rock middle place is you're, you're stuck somewhere between your highest level of fulfillment and the achievement of your potential and rock bottom, right? And there is a middle ground that exists right there that I find a lot of people are not talking about. And that is, to me, what I experienced was that external success, but it really lacked internal fulfillment. And what I now know is you have to have both in order to truly feel as though you are successful. It doesn't matter what other people tell you or how many awards or whatever you receive, or even what your bank account says, At the end of the day, when it lacks fulfillment, um, it lacks the real contentment and joy that we all seek. So I felt like if yeah, I could I, come up with that term, I, we could get more conversation going around it. I suspect so many people listening are saying exactly, Sally. They're nodding their heads and saying exactly, I am right there where you are, or I've been right there where, where you have been. I'd love for you to share, if you would, your personal story about where you found yourself because you were by all, by anybody's measure, you were incredibly successful and you should have been on top of the world. You were winning awards. Um, you know, really doing well in your life. And yet 
you found you felt that you were in this place that you now describe as rock metal. Talk a bit about that experience. Sure. Um, you know, I followed someone else's roadmap to success and, you know, I did, um, undergrad immediately went to law school and found myself practicing law at the third largest labor and employment law firm in the nation. And I was doing everything that I thought would give me that feeling of accomplishment and joy. And, I wasn't feeling it. And so I thought, okay, there's something missing from me, right? And if I work harder or I achieve more, then I'll be happy. So I did that, right? I put my head down, I worked harder, I involved myself in the community and volunteered for nonprofits and made myself busier than any human should really physically be. And, um, you know, had two kids in the process and then found myself winning an award for our, um, from our chamber of commerce, from the community as young professional of the year. And then, um, ended up that evening right on the bathroom floor with tears, you know, just streaming out of my eyes because I couldn't hold it back anymore. The disconnect between the way that I showed up in the world and the way that I actually felt was so extreme. Um, and I just felt like if anybody knew the real me, right, the, the real way that I feel about myself, they would absolutely call me an imposter. And I was so afraid that anyone would figure that out, that I wasn't really successful, that I wasn't really great at what I did. And now that I look back upon it, um, you know, I, I was right externally, I could do all of the work. Um, and I had amazing experiences practicing law um, and was good at it. So therefore it made it extraordinarily difficult to explain to other people um, when right. they're saying congratulations. And the phrase that always got me and almost in tears, which is so strange is you must be so happy. And whenever right. anyone would say that to me, right, and it would be so casual, rolling off their tongue, congratulations on your award, you must be so happy, or congratulations on, you know, uh, you know, getting to travel with the general counsel of FedEx, like, that's amazing, you must be so happy. And all I wanted to say to them was, no, I'm not, help, I'm miserable, and I don't know what to do or who to talk to about it. And people generally only recommend right counseling or therapy or any of that when you're like in rock bottom, right? When they can recognize mm -hmm. that there are external manifestations of your internal discomfort. And I was not willing to show them any of those. I'm like, oh, I can keep it all stuffed in and all together. Um, and I did for a really long time and then realized, right, that internal pain was being covered up by something. I just didn't realize it because it's so socially acceptable. And that pain was being covered up by alcohol, right? And it was so easy for me to right. just fall into what is traditional, which is, you know, the work hard, party hard, or, you know, work hard and blow off steam on the weekends. And, you know, I never drink every day or anything like that. But you still can have a problem with alcohol, believe it or not, even if you don't, right? I never lived under a bridge, as I tell people all the time, but I still realized, hey, 
um, you know, I'm going to choose to get sober and cut this out of my life because it is not allowing me to reach my full potential. I know I am using it as a crutch. And um, mm -hmm. if I remove that crutch, where might I be able to go and what might I be able to accomplish? And so I did, right? And I felt kind of called to do that one day. And, um, you know, it's been one of the best choices I've ever made. And I think when I removed that crutch, I could no longer ignore, right, the pain of staying the same. I had to change. I had to change right. what I was doing. And and luckily, um, at that point, I had some opportunities to move into running some other businesses, both in law and then in um, other areas like retail and sales, et cetera. So um, that's kind of yeah. my journey in that shell of about 20 years in business. But and now yeah. I have the pleasure and have found my absolute passion in working with female entrepreneurs and helping them scale their businesses and make more money. Yeah, which is which is how we met as part of the Southern Sea and the Southern Sea Summit, which, of course, this conversation is one in a series of conversations that we're doing in collaboration with the Southern Sea. So it's a great opportunity to bridge all of these things together. But Sally, I want to go back to your story for a second. Was there a particular moment or event that really crystallized in your mind? Okay. I've, I've, I've got to, I've got to stop this. I've got to, I'm now, I'm now bridging from rock middle into something that is getting more serious. What happened that caused you to really wake up and say, I have to make a change? I'm so glad you asked me that question because I'm a real um, proponent of the idea that there is the, the word grass does not exist. G-R-E-S-S, -S, right? That's not a word. You're either making progress or you're, you're engaging in regress, right? Either one. And <laughs> every day as time goes by, there is no grass, right? We're not staying the same, even though we perceive that we are. And so um, what I did is, is I realized, gosh, I am regressing right? I am moving further away from where it is that I ultimately want to be, who it is I want to show the world that I am as a person and what I believe in. Um, and I realize that it's always these, you know, very strange moments, but two really moments stick out in my mind. One is that um, I was driving down uh, Coleman Boulevard. I was living in Charleston at the time. And I'll never forget just feeling this wave um, of energy kind of come over me and tap me on the shoulder and say, have you had enough? And I didn't even know what the question was. I felt like I didn't know where it was coming from. You know, at the time, I wasn't even as attuned to, you know, um, kind of my own you know, spirituality or, you know, the universe or my own energy as much as I am now. And um, now I would say that it is, you know, kind of my spiritual guides or higher power or mm -hmm. God, whatever it is that you call it, um, gave me the gift of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, hey, there's more for you out there. Is, is this enough of you playing small? Um, and then about a week later after that, um, I failed to pick up my son from camp on time. He doesn't even remember it. But for me, it was the thing, like the line I wouldn't cross, right? Was, does this have a negative impact on my children? And 
Um, you know, I never wanted that to happen. And I saw that happen so clearly that day. Um, and that was it, right? I um, drove back from, from his um, sleepaway camp all the way to Charleston, five hours of crying and tears and, you know, realizing I'm, I'm not living my life um, as I should and as I want to, as I choose to. And that next day was when I actually made the choice. Okay, I know what it is that I, I have enough of um, and what I need to change. So you hear this, you hear this message, you, you, you get clear on the fact that you have to make a change, but what did you do next? What, what happened after that? So again, another God wink, if you will. Um, I was planning, I do a lot of speaking and I was planning a speaking engagement and I walked into my office the very next day and uh, it just so happens that the woman who I was meeting with was also sober. And so that morning, um, I'll never forget it. I said to her, she's wildly successful, amazing woman. I really respect. And I came in there um, and I said, um, you know, I know that we have this speaking engagement to plan, right? I was doing a portion, she was doing a portion, um, but I've got to tell you something really serious. And she said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm very stressed about this speaking engagement. And I said, just hold your horses one second. You know, I think you're really going to freak out about this. And I said, I think I have a drinking problem. And she was like, oh, that's no big deal. Great. That, that's great. We can deal with that later this afternoon. I mean, that I know how to deal with. The speaking thing, though. I mean, within moments, she has just shifted. And I'm thinking that she's just, I don't know, going to be flabbergasted or whatever. And now being sober myself, I can right. hear it from people all the time. Um, and so she's like, no, 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 we'll handle that at like 5.30, but right now. And so <laughs> I'm like weeping, you know, and sure enough, um, she took me to, um, you know, my method of, of sobriety and that has always gotten me sober is going to AA. I love it. Um, and so we went to that night to an AA meeting um, in, just so happens, um, in my community, on my street. Um, who knew? Um, now I jokingly used to say, like, I was born to be an alcoholic because there were there were meetings for sobriety, three of them a day on my very street. Like, I couldn't ignore it. Um, all the signs were there. Um, <laughs> But we, um, yeah, from that day forward, um, I never looked back. Um, it's been the best, hardest, right? Let's be honest, um, hardest gift ever. Yeah. But we only get to right to the potential, to the other side of the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell would say, after the anguish, after the death and the rebirth mm -hmm. and no one wants to experience that. I didn't want to. I wasn't looking forward to what would come as soon as I raised my hand and said, hey, I think I want to make this massive change. And it was hard. Um, I remember nights where I was, yeah, I was shedding a lot of layers of myself that I had covered up for years. Um, and I let go of a lot of self-judgment and pain. And But that's what we have to let go of to rise, right? And I realized... Um, you know, it was part of kind of the, the shackles holding me back, right? The, the 50 pound weights that we carry in our backpack, we can take those out whenever we want, um, whatever we so choose. And that was one of mine, right? We all have different ones. 
Yeah, it, it's a great story, and I know it will resonate with so many people listening. One of the things you talk about in the book that especially resonated with me is this concept of the expertise trap, which really kind of plays into the 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 talk track that runs in our heads what we tell ourselves about why we can't make a shift or why we shouldn't do something else even when we are frustrated beyond belief and know really know in our heart that we should probably be doing something else talk about the expertise trap and what you mean by that in the book so one of the things that really kept me practicing law for a decade was the fact that i was good at it right and that I had developed some expertise in that particular area. And so anytime I would then go to friends or family members or you know, even acquaintances and say, I'm thinking about leaving my law practice, what might I do from here? The only opportunities that were given to me were things that were built upon the expertise that I already had. Like, oh my gosh, you can be a general counsel, you can go in-house somewhere, you could be, you could start your own law practice. And I'm like, you're not hearing me. I hate what I do. I need like a wholesale change. <laughs> and they're like, right. yeah, but why would you do that? Like, you're good at it. So just stay with it. That's what you need to do. And I'm like, I, I don't understand. Like, am I speaking Greek and they're speaking Italian? What's happening? So I couldn't ever actually, and I mean, I swear short of seeing a shaman in India, I talked to everyone I could. Career counselors, people that do all of the tests and stuff long before the Enneagram and asking them what I ought to do. And they were all really still leaning on the expertise I already had. And I think that that's a trap, right? Knowledge can absolutely be a curse because it really can limit what you believe you are then capable of creating. And it clouds oftentimes our perception of what we can do next and how innovative we're willing to be. I mean, you can look at tons of right. companies that have gone out of business and whether they realize it or not, the expertise trap you know, trapped them. I mean, look at BlackBerry, for example, <laughs> right? That's a great right. example of someone that, you know, believed he owned the expertise in the smartphone market and failed to innovate. You know, that happens to all of us. And so I now look at these innovations as just absolutely part of the journey. You know, I had um, a marriage counselor say this recently, and I think it's apropos now, I apply it to business and talk to clients about it all the time. And they say, you know, she says, you're gonna have five or six marriages in your lifetime, whether or not they're to the same person is up to you, right? And that and that just is a reflection that- <laughs> That's interesting. Know, that you're gonna grow. I've never heard it like that. That's a really- Yeah. yeah right? You're going to grow and change and develop and be a totally different person. And I am at 42 wildly different than I was at 24. And that's the age that right. I was when I started practicing law. So it's only natural that I would have a wholesale change and evolution in my career as well. And so I think the same goes, you know, over your lifetime, you can have many different evolutions of your career. Um, it does not mean you're crazy. It just means that you are growing, which I truly believe it is what we're put on this earth to do is to continue um, our process of self-actualization. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me ask you a really practical question. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can completely empathize with the people who are giving you advice to take advantage of the fact that you have this legal training and how can you use that? So how, you know, now in your coaching business where you no doubt have people who come in your door every single day <laughs> who, who have these incredible resumes, right? How do you, Sally, figure out how to help them create the thread and the narrative to maybe pick up on pieces of what they were doing before to help them evolve, but still kind of connect with that thing that they learned to do before, right? How do you make that? Am I making sense with this question? You you really Mm -hmm. create that, you Mm -hmm. weave that thread in your narrative in your life, but you Mm -hmm. take it and you allow it to evolve and to grow in a different direction. So talk about how you help people do that. So, but what that question presupposes is that we know how the thread and that the thread exists very linearly, that we know how the thread, Uh right? And, and what I argue is that you don't, right? Um, Just as- Not until you look back, right? Exactly. (laughs) So the whole point is that instead of trying to make it linear, like what can I do next? that would or might build upon the work that I've already done. Instead, pretend as though that does not exist. And instead ask yourself, who is it? And I love that quote, um, at the end of your one wild and precious life, you know, what is it that you want to have become, right? We only get one shot at this. And oftentimes when I can get them to let go of what they know, so that we can consider what they don't, right? Because that they haven't thought Mm -hmm. of yet. Um, Then we can dream again, right? We can be our authentic selves. Coming from the linear perspective, we're always, um, in fact, shifting to a different part of our brain. Most of the time, we're shifting back to our limbic part of our brain, that protective part that says, you know, how can I keep safe? How can I do what is next that is certain? And what I would argue is that your potential is only achieved by being willing to step into the uncertainty. And then when you look back, you will begin to say, that's why that happened. That's why I have that expertise. Mm -hmm. That's why I know how to write employee handbooks and write counsel people through, you know, disagreements and legal battles between employers and, and employees. I had no idea why it would be relevant. And of course now I do. But at the time, because I was sitting there saying, what would be the next logical step? I could only see things that I hated. Like, again, starting my own law firm. Why would I do that? I don't want to practice law, right? Um, Right. And and instead, (laughs) if I had asked myself, who is it I want to become? I want to become a woman that empowers other women, that provides a light and a guide to other women to say, come on, let's go. Let's do this together. If I've done it, so can you. And then I would begin leaning backwards to say, well, what is it that would have to be true about myself? Or what is it that I would be doing that would make me feel happy and fulfilled that would make that statement true? What is it that is right within my wheelhouse or I find interesting or joyful that makes that statement true? Well, one of them is that I love speaking, right? One, I know I'm just a unicorn in that in a lot of ways, but I love public speaking, right? I love 
Um, I have always loved knowledge, right? I've always loved studying and synthesizing information. Um, and so therefore I really love teaching. Okay. I've got teaching and knowledge and speaking and women, right? And suddenly I'm coming at it from a really different perspective and I'm able to say, mm -hmm. okay, now some of the thread is beginning to appear. Um, but I had to give it time too. And I think that so often we all give up if the thread doesn't just immediately snap our fingers i can't figure it out and therefore it does not exist and that's just not right. true what i would argue is that a you probably haven't given it enough time if you don't know yet or b um do you, oh dare i say out loud you're probably still just listening to the voices of everyone else and you haven't gotten mm. quiet enough peaceful enough um secluded enough to figure out what your voice says right it should be an inner knowing not a repetition of someone else's thoughts yes <laughs> so much to unpack there and and i think this idea of really being willing to turn off at least temporarily what you know in order to find the thing that you really want to do and when you think about that process mm -hmm. not in your 20s but when you do that in your 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond that can be a really scary thing uh, especially if you're looking to pivot into another career not necessarily into retirement or a hobby but but pivoting from career to career that can be really, really scary. Mm -hmm. So is there, do you have advice for people on getting the fear <laughs> of that process under control? How do you tackle the fear that's associated with that? Sure. Um, one, get a good coach. <laughs> Feel free to reach out to me. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, one is is definitely surround yourself with other people who are willing to challenge themselves in the same manner, right? If you're the only one raising your hand in your community or in your friend circle that's saying, hey, you know, I want more, um, it can feel very isolating. And so I tell, you know, women all the time, like, you know, seek out other women who are challenging themselves to do the same. Um, and then don't tell the others that you know are not going to be supportive. I call that going to the hardware mm. store for bread. There is no bread there. Stop going there, right? You know the friends that I'm talking about. If it is your husband, fine. Don't tell him either, right? Until you develop the plan and the inner knowing and all of the confidence that you you know are capable of making the pivot then come and present to yeah. write the plan that is a very different idea than coming and asking for validation of your plan instead coming with it specifically built out but i think too it's it's embracing the fear um and that's why i think having other women who around you who are fearful as well and saying, yeah, I know, I, I get you. Um, I'm, I'm scared too, but I'm going to show up today. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the best things that I've learned in sobriety is we really only have the 24 hours ahead of us. That's it, right? We can make all of these beautiful plans and believe me, I am all about goal setting, but you do your best in the 24 hours that you have that day. And so the fear is really a process of the anxiety of the future. Right. It is future tripping. It is getting on on, a you mm -hmm. know, that hamster wheel and like 
pretending as though you are certain about what the future will hold and you don't. And so, you know, get off of the hamster wheel. Don't future trip anymore when you, you know, one very tactical, silly, but very practical thing to do is put your feet down if you are, you know, somewhere on, um, you know, I'm sitting Indian style, but put your feet down on the ground, let them be planted um, and look down, right? Look at where your feet are planted now. Remind yourself that you are present here in the moment, exactly where you are and remind yourself this is where you're intended to be. Um, whether you feel like that or not, it is truth and um, that all you have is the next few hours. So getting really present allows you to let go of some of that fear. Um, and then, you know, the other tool is really about clarity, right? Clarity of your ultimate vision. Um, when you lack clarity, um, fear grows as well. And so clarity is different than certainty. Um, very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I think that you ought to have clarity about what you would like to create. Um, and you ought to write that out. That helps guide your decision making on a daily basis and you feel less frenetic and less haphazard about your decisions. So um, I think, you know, get really present and then develop, mm -hmm. you know, that true roadmap um, of where you're headed, right? Define that vision yeah. for yourself. And so what you're, what you're getting at essentially is to define your why. Yes. Um, to me, the vision of where you're headed is an actual destination, right? I love to visualize it. I love to embrace the woman that I'm becoming, right? And say, you know, how would I make decisions as an eight-figure earner? How, what is that version of me show mm -hmm. up as today? If that's where I'm headed and who I'm going to become and the leader I'm going to be, how does she act? And let me embrace that version of myself today and show up as that person. It, it is, you know, about having a why, but to me, it is about asking yourself after right? That vision has been established. Why is that the vision? Now, now let's know why that's so critical. Why have you defined that? Why are you so attached <laughs> to the creation of that type of business or that particular goal? Um, that is understanding the why of what that, why that vision holds value and importance to you, as Simon Sinek says. <laughs> you know, is what is going to continue your motivation through the dark times, right? Because you can remind yourself, here's why I set that goal instead of compromising on it, instead of saying, oh, you know what, right? I was going to get new couch furniture or whatever, you know, and the couch I have right now is just fine, right? We will begin to compromise on it unless we know why. But I still believe that the, the creation of the vision is first and the why is second. Yeah, I love that. So practically speaking, are there tools that you use for visualization? Are you a fan of vision board or journaling or what, what's your tool of choice and what do you find that works well for many of your clients? Yeah. Um, so what I always have clients do at the very beginning is that we go through the exercise of defining that vision with a lot of specificity. You know, I find a lot of people lack 
specificity. And so I love visualization and all of those um, tools. I find those to be um, wonderful add-ons, um, but I am mm -hmm. all about having the fundamentals in place for your business. And one to me of the fundamentals is, right, having that vision set out as a SMART goal, like specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-based. So you know, the vision ought to also include your revenue, right? How much money do you want to achieve? Because a hundred million dollar business versus a 10 versus a one, right? The strategies you need to employ and the steps you take are going to be wildly different. Are you driving to California right. or are you flying to Europe? And decide now because <laughs> the money you need to save up or the actions you need to take are going to be so different. And when it lacks specificity, then you don't know which route to take, right? Getting on a plane or driving in a car. And so that has to serve as your guide. And I always say like, it is a bit of a waterfall, right? Of a pyramid down from there. So from that vision, we always typically establish, well, what are the, again, much like the questions I said earlier, you know, what are the things that I do in order to achieve that ultimate vision? And I always ask clients that question, you know, what do you want to do? Not what you're selling right now, what product you use to make money, but what do you want to make happen? And then inevitably there's always something like a kernel of truth within them. That's like, gosh, you know what, you know what I've really always wanted to do? Like I've really always wanted to have a product line or I've always wanted to have, you know, a wallpaper collection or always wanted to have my name on a building. I say, okay, great. That is the supporting revenue stream or product or whatever it may be that supports the achievement of that vision. Um, and then, you know, once we have established what those revenue streams are, then we take it down to one more level. Okay. What are the strategies that now make those revenue streams achievable. And then it's one more level, right? What are the tactics that you then engage in that drive that strategy? You can break it down and that takes you down to what do I need to do every day, day in, day out in order to achieve that vision. Suddenly your roadmap is there. There is no guessing. There's no running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You know, this is what I have to do. And then it's up to you to choose. Do I show up and go for it and do it or do I not? And you know, that oftentimes I find when it's laid out in front of them, they are much more likely to follow through on right the steps to the achievement of their vision because they know exactly where they're going versus, you know, yeah. I always say like closing your eyes, crossing your fingers and your toes and everything and saying, gosh, I hope what I'm doing now will take me there. Hope just isn't a strategy. I mean, whenever I hear yeah. that from an entrepreneur, I'm like, oh no, oh no, let's let's get something concrete. <laughs> oh gosh. I love that. Okay. So for people listening who may be, you know, in various places as it relates to, you know, stuck or rock middle, or maybe even starting to make a pivot, maybe they've made the decision that they're going to make a big shift. Talk about how they should go about 
evaluating a good coach. How do you know who the right person is to help you as you embark on this journey? And are there different people at different stages as you, you know, sort of recognize, okay, I think I need to make a pivot. Do you hire someone then or do you hire someone after you've done this initial work? Just walk us through kind of what you think are best practices as it relates to hiring a coach to help you through this. What a great question. I don't get this one a lot. Um, you know, I think um, it is such an individual answer. I wish I had a blanket answer, but I have had conversations even today with many different people. And I would say that, you know, some of them are at the very beginning stages and earning, say, like less than $1,000 in consistent monthly revenue. And with them, I tell them, you know, most of the time, if you would like, because you're not, you know, stable enough where you know that taking on a coach or working with a coach isn't going to put you in a financial detriment, right? I never want to work with a client when I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, your food or me, right, is, is, is on the line, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, let's get... Let's get you a little bit more revenue and then like come back and and then you will have less attachment to the outcome of what we are testing, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing at the beginning is testing, right? To see how your audience responds, to see what's working, what's not working before we really land on whatever strategy is going to help you double and triple your revenue. So um, you've got to be able to weather that. Um, but there are amazing books out there, right? That can help you. There are great um, programs. You know, I have um, an online course called 30 Days to 30K. Lots of the people that aren't yet generating enough revenue, I tell them, take that, right? It is the exact roadmap that I just talked to you through about the creation of your vision and the revenue streams, the strategies and the tactics. And with that roadmap, you can go really far to potentially $30,000 a month in revenue just following that system alone. So I say kind of get to a point where you're not going to be crushed and you're willing to experiment just a little and then find someone that you click with, right? It is an emotional relationship. Find someone that you trust, right? right? Um, because it does, you know, you do need to be in a very trusting relationship because our goal, hopefully as a really good coach is to encourage you and hold space for you well outside your comfort zone. So you're going to be doing things that are wildly different than whatever you have normally done. And you need to be willing to come along to the other side, um, of your comfort zone with us. You know, it's kind of like me being in the pool, right, as your coach and saying, hey, the water is just fine. And you put your toe in and you're like, oh, it's still cold. That does not create a great coaching relationship because that person is like, I don't trust you enough. I put my toe in, so I'm going to duck back out. Um, a great coaching relationship is, yeah, I put my toe in the water and I do feel that it is cold, but you're telling me I'm going to get over the cold in about five minutes, so I'll dive in anyway. That's the kind of trusting great relationship that I believe that you can develop with a great coach and do things that you never thought were possible before, truly. 
um, when you can build up that trust with one another. The other thing I will say is find someone who has, especially if you're looking for a business coach, who has done what you want, right? I don't understand mm. taking advice from people who have never run seven figure businesses and yet you want to create a seven figure business. What experience do they have other than just studying? I want someone who's been in the trenches that has run other companies that, you know, knows exactly what's at stake and, and has that level of experience. Make sure that it's not just all about mindset while mindset is critically important. Um, there are absolutely tactics and strategies that a business coach ought to be able to teach you that can help you save tons of time yeah. and money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really important. Really important. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. That's great advice. Um, I'd love for you to talk about this was um, something I there were many things that I loved about your book. Um, but this in particular, where you talk about don't deplete your own potential. You talk about um, the tendency that oftentimes we have, and I think this is especially true for women, we have a tendency to give things away, to not necessarily value our product, our content, whatever the case may be. And I'm guilty, <laughs> as many people listening probably are too. Yeah. Talk about why this is such a problem and what we can do to get a little better handle on this. Oh my gosh, I am so obsessed with this. Uh, you know, if I had a penny for every time I hear a female entrepreneur say, you know, oh, well, I was giving it away for free in hopes that it would generate awareness and then I would make more money. And I'm like, bah, that's just not how it works. Um, because here's the thing, when you give it away for free, right? You're saying it doesn't have any value. And that does not ever generate someone else to come then say to you, well, now I'd like to pay for it. Not to mention giving it away for free also says, I don't have that much confidence in the product or the transformation that you're going to get from this. And in order for someone to really want to pay you, you have to set the bar very high. You have to believe that the transformation they're going to get from you, from whatever product or service that you have, is going to be an amazing benefit for them. And that is evidenced, believe it or not, by the price. Price has a direct connection to value, right? If I were to say to you, hey, Laura, buy this computer from me, it's only $10, you would be like, what? It's probably a no, terrible thanks. computer. Yeah, yeah right? No, <laughs> right? Because right? the price reflects the value. Now, if I'm like, hey, Laura, buy this computer, it is, it's only $2,000, but it's amazing. You're like, wow, that must be one heck of a cool, awesome computer. Let me come and check it out. Suddenly you're intrigued. Price reflects value. So when we undervalue ourselves as female entrepreneurs, we cannot expect our prospective customers to value us more, right? That doesn't even make sense. Why are they going to value us more than we value ourselves? Does not happen. So instead, right, we don't have to be apologetic for the price that we charge. 
And I think that a lot of that comes from our people pleasing nature that we fear someone will be excluded, right? Someone will not be able to afford us. It will not be able to serve everyone, you know, et cetera. And right, congratulations, welcome to capitalism. Like it, that's, that's just exactly how it works. At the end of the day, unfortunately so, yes. Um, some people will not, but you cannot be all things to all people unless you just want to keep giving it away for free forever. In, instead, you've got to be willing, right? And that's where the fear comes back in. I've, I've, you've got to be willing to narrow down. You've got to be willing to niche down and serve an ideal customer in a target market within a niche. And when you do that, it is like taking one giant boulder and throwing it into the lake. The ripple effects are big and wide and far. And instead, when you're trying to just give it away for free to drum up interest or some of that magical value, right? It is like taking a little handful of pebbles and throwing it in the ocean. Ripple effect? I don't think so. But yet that's what we do over and over and over. Or we think I've got to go spend a ton of money on Facebook ads or Instagram ads or have this $50,000 website and all of those things. And you don't, you don't have to have any of those. Start small and free. Start with the people that you know, begin to serve them really, really well and know what you stand for. Be willing to stand for something and, and say what you mean and you believe. And that will then, right, from a very small audience, continue to grow outward to a bigger one. But no one will value it if you keep saying that it is free. Um, and, you know, eventually, or like you probably see a bunch of people, myself included, having things like free downloads or, you know, oftentimes before I used to do a free workshop. So let's not mistake a freebie with a free product, right? A freebie strategically right, right. is an entryway into a sales funnel that is wildly different than you just giving away your product for free to a bunch of people hoping that they will then post about it on instagram or talk to other people about it not the case um instead it, it's it's they're just wildly different things that is the the starter if you will product not the actual product so I think that some people get really confused about seeing these free things on the internet and thinking, well, I've got to copy that. Um, just remember, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that you don't see that, that are strategies that are helping that freebie turn into cash. If you don't have all of those strategies behind it that are helping you take that freebie you just gave away um, and turn it into an actual conversion, don't you there you might as well not have given it away right um people do that with products all the time give them a free purse or a pair of earrings or whatever fine okay but what's your strategy on conversion after that right what's what's your strategy right. to get that person to then help you convert on our customers do you have a funnel do you have an email sequence do you have then a freebie that you're driving them to so when she's posting about that she's telling all of them to come you've got to have something else um yeah, free does not turn into magical money. Um, I jokingly say to my clients all the time, I'm like, it is so hard for me to say that word. I'm like, 
free. Yes. I'm like, I just don't like it. Right. I don't like that. And I don't like discounts. Nope. Neither one. You don't need to give anybody It's great advice. Believe in your value. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to take, especially, you know, running a podcast, as you know, because you also have a fantastic podcast as well. Um, they are difficult to monetize and they do tend to be an add on product, even if they're very good. Like I think she said, she said is a good podcast. Your podcast is really good as well. Um, books are another piece that people use to monetize their strategies. I mean, you have a very, very good book. I talk to an awful lot of people, but talk about the strategy of connecting, writing your story and capturing your expertise or a particular way of doing something. In your case, you're talking about this concept that you've coined of hitting rock middle and how it really equates to being stuck in your life and career. But talk about the benefit of tying these pieces together. Obviously, you're not giving your book away for free. You're actually selling it, which is great. But talk about the connection between the book as a product and the rest of your business. Yeah. So, you know, we all have, as I was kind of hinting about the freebie, you know, a uh, customer journey that we take our customers on, whether you realize it or not. And I want to be able to serve my customer at a lot of different price points and a lot of different stages of their journey and evolution too. Right. And we've touched on that throughout our conversation is that there are people listening that are in the startup phase and there are people that are, you know, in the multi-million dollar phase that still need support and help as well. Um, and so, you know, the freebies are fantastic when you're getting started and you're like, I have no money, but I need some good tactics and advice and things to get me started. Great. Consume every episode of this podcast and mine. Um, which is also hitting rock middle, um, the freebies I have and all of that. But see, that serves that customer at that stage. And then we have the next stage, which is the book, which is $27, right? And so it is a very easy entry point for the customer to be able to get to know me. Because as I was saying, right, we buy from people that we know, like, and trust. And so it helps right. them have a much more trusting relationship with me, um, whether you realize it or not. That's why um, social media helps your business so much um, for those people who show up authentically and actually tell, like, some of the good, bad, and ugly. Um, it is driving business because they get to see who they're working with, the face behind the brand. Um, and then beyond that, right, there are some of those introductory courses like the 30 days to 30K, which are, I think that's $297, $297. So, you know, a great entry point to get some really tactical nuggets in their hand that can create a decent um, transformation. And then the very best transformation is my 12-month um, premier coaching program called the Revenue Accelerator. And that is where, you know, I'm guiding you through 12 months of taking whatever product or service it is that you have now and providing you a systematic guidebook to making more money, giving you all the strategies, the tools, and even samples of them for you to be able to use and integrate in your business, right? Cutting out a lot of the middleman of you know, I need to go and figure out how to create a sales funnel all on my own. Well, no, you don't. Not when you're in the revenue accelerator. I'm going to teach you how to do that exactly. Um, so 
the book is a really great way for me again as i'm looking at that linear um trajectory of customers coming through our customer journey to all the listeners think about your customer journey how can you offer something that might be slightly less expensive on the front of the journey that might pull them in and then what is your most like a uh, transformative most vip offer that is on the back end that you can offer to them that could provide them an even better transformation than the one you're giving them right now and as long as you make sure it does not suit everyone because it shouldn't and right. you know those are both going to help you increase your revenue but but also it's not serve a wider audience it is still the same person who is still trying to achieve the same thing that your target audience is trying to achieve. They're just not yet at the most ideal, most largest group, right? That you're serving. They're, they're either right outside it on either end of it, right? Right past it or right yeah. before it. So it's a great way for me to kind of help our customers, but everyone has one of those or you can create yeah. one. Yeah, I, I love how you describe that because I think it's important to think about the different pieces of your business and how these, these you know, they're, they're tools, basically. These can be different tools of really leveraging and connecting with your customers in different ways. And I, I love how you explain that. Okay, one last question, Sally. If you could go back and give younger Sally a single piece of advice, maybe it's a life hack or a mantra, what might that be? Mm, that's an easy one for me. Um, it would be you are enough. I think if we all believe that, right, truly in our heart, in our core, that we have nothing to prove to anyone else, right? And that's what believing that I am enough is all about for me individually, is that I don't need to worry about what the world thinks of me. What I need to worry about is what I think of me. And um when i believe i'm enough then i'm going to do what's in you know within my you know most um joyful you know heartfelt experience i'm going to help myself create that versus um something that i believe i should or i have to um you know and i did that for a really really long time and you know i think the younger version of me needed to know um, that you were enough just as you are, right? You don't need an award to, to be enough. I love that. That's beautiful. Sally, thank you very much. I love that. Thank you, Laura. Friend, thanks so much for joining me for the conversation with Sally Holder. To learn a bit more about Sally, be sure and check out the show notes for this episode, episode 183. I've also included links to Sally's terrific book entitled Hitting Rock Middle, as well as her podcast by the same name. And I've also included a link to the Southern Cooterie, uh, with whom we are doing this special collaboration series. So be sure to check out all all of those great links. Also, I have a little favor to ask of you. If you're not already, be sure to follow She Said, She Said podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You have to go in and actually click the link to follow. I'd be so grateful if you did that. 
And also, while you're there, I'd really be grateful for a review. If there's something about this or one of our other episodes that really spoke to you, that resonated, please be sure and let me know. Please be sure and share it in a review so that others can benefit from your perspective as well. I would be truly, truly grateful. Until next week, take care and I'll see you soon. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.